Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh Podcast. This is episode 32, and I'm so glad that you are joining us uh, this week. I want to touch on the Asbury Revival that is taking place at Asbury University in Kentucky. You know, the word Nefesh, where I, I came up with the name for this podcast, the, uh, the Nefesh Podcast, it comes from the Hebrew word regarding the soul. And the Hebrew understanding of the soul is an all-encompassing thing. Our soul is the essence of who we are, and it intersects with all aspects of our life. And I, I feel that's so important to talk about when we talk about our spiritual formation and our spiritual growth, that it is encompassing every part of our being, and that it is the connection with God himself and the connection with other souls in their, in their journey as well. And the soul and it's the relationship between our soul and God's soul is so important. And it is often an inner experience that erupts into an outward experience. And I think that's kind of what we see when we talk about revivals or renewals. I first heard about the the revival just, it started February 8th this, this year. I happened to be in Florida at a conference. In fact, um, I was I put on my Facebook profile that I was heading to Florida, and, and a couple people said, "Have fun!" And I'm thinking, you don't know why I'm going to Florida um, for a you know a, a conference, but um, and for all those who live in Florida, you know, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy living in Florida. I just I'm not a fan of the humidity or the crocodiles and alligators and everything else that wants to boa constrictors that want to eat me down there in those uh those swamps and those tropics and my experience with florida has been the airport and a and and a hotel the the both times that i've been there but i'm sitting in this conference uh, about uh, christian colleges and accreditation and the speaker talks about this revival that's taking place in kentucky that started with just students lingering after chapel and they just continued to sing and they pray and pray and they didn't want to leave and it just continued they didn't leave chapel they just continued to sing and pray and be together and over the last few weeks it's officially closed down now because of the concern about so many people coming into this very, very, very small town where this college is located that they decided to kind of officially close it off. Um, But they say, some people estimate that, you know, 50,000 people came, visitors came to the campus there to pray and to experience it. It's so powerful, this thought that this moment in history wasn't started or created because they had a, you know a famous speaker like Billy Graham or, or somebody like that. It was just it was just students who were just feeling like they wanted to connect with God on a deeper level. I remember several years ago when I was in Bible college in the mid nineties, there was the Brownsville revival that was taking place in Pensacola, Florida, and I I remember people, classmates, who went down there, went down there for spring break and other breaks to go and experience what was taking place there. And I heard about their experiences as they came back. 
And I have been at times, like probably most people, skeptics of of various experience, not skeptical of God and his ability to move and not skeptical of miracles and not skeptical of the the presence of God. But of course we know and we've seen and we've heard um, there there are, you know, not everything that, that looks real is real. And, um, and I think skeptical that, that uh, of why people were going and what they were hoping to get out of that experience when they went down there. And was it really life changing? You know, people come back and they're like, Oh my gosh, I went and I threw out all my secular music and I threw out all my, my movies and I'm just going to remain holy and pure and upright. Um, and, you know, and kind of this feeling that if you didn't go down there, if you didn't go down to Pensacola, Florida, if you didn't go down to Brownsville, that you would be missing out, that your life was not, uh, that you weren't going to get something, get as much blessing or get God's presence or hear from God or grow closer to God if you didn't go down there. There wasn't an, there wasn't an overt pressure, but just the sense that you, if you didn't make the trip, the pilgrimage, that somehow you were missing out of that amazing experience that was taking place. And I, one of the things that was very clear when people came back, they had, again, all sorts of testimonies and and, um, stories of not just healing, but just just, uh, a sense of God's presence. And usually what is... What is very common in renewal movements or, or revival experiences is real awareness of how holy God is and an awareness of where, awareness of our own sinfulness or humanness and how unworthy we are to truly be in relationship with God. And it's important to remember that that word holy, wherever it is used in scripture, at its essence, it really just means set apart. God is set apart from us and will always be fully set apart and completely distinct from us. And yet he transcends everything to be with us, to have a relationship with us and to live inside of us, but he is completely set apart. And he calls us as followers of him to also be set apart. And at times we have misunderstood that and have, instead of growing and allowing our lives to be changed so that we naturally become set apart, we have attempted to simply set ourselves apart from the rest of the world without that actual change in the character transformation that is supposed to actually initiate the being set apart. Meaning, in scripture, it talks about how Moses would go up on the mountain in the Old Testament with God and, and be in God's, what we call his Shekinah glory, his, his manifest presence and he would be in this cloud of God's presence or in the temple and it would, or the tabernacle and it would envelop him. And when he would come out of it, his face would glow. It would shine. 
Moses didn't put makeup on and try to make himself stand apart. He didn't put shiny glitter on or anything else. He wasn't trying to make himself set apart. Simply by being in God's presence, he was automatically set apart and distinct. People could tell that he had been with God because his face glowed. Such a powerful, powerful visual for what it means to not only connect with God, but then for the resulting effect for people to be able to see it and say, there's something different about you. You are set apart. You look different because you have been with God in God's presence. God is holy and renewal and revival moments historically have called people to this point of a reminder of his holiness, a reminder of who he is, but also such a clear picture and desire to connect with him in such a real way. Revivals and and as they are referred to, especially in American history, they are referred to as awakenings. We've got the first, second, third, great awakenings, powerful, powerful preachers like Jonathan Edwards and others who, who really just, just, just had a desire to bring about a renewal in America. And there have been these renewals, revivals, for so many years, thousands of years, all throughout Christian history, as we see movements, we see uh, a desire, people passionate and desirous for, for God, for something different. And we, we see that from the very beginning of the church, when in the book of Acts in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus telling his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait and wait for the gift that that the father was going to give and so you may know the story they go up and they begin to pray and they wait and they pray and they wait in this upper room and by the time Pentecost comes it's only about 120 we don't know if there were originally 500 there praying or if it you know by that time, 380 had gone and only 120 were left out of all Jesus' disciples. Um, or, or for whatever reason, there were only 120 there in that upper room. But they were there and they were praying. They were waiting and they were praying. They were expectantly waiting and praying. And after they had waited and prayed... For a week. In Acts chapter 2, it tells us that the Holy Spirit came in such a powerful way that you couldn't mistake it. it. It was not something that you could ignore, that you could slough off. In fact, the people who heard the the disciples praying or speaking in tongues, as we now refer to it, the glossolalia, um, that they thought they were drunk because they were just speaking, you know, weird sounds that they hadn't heard before. But then 
as the story uh, Luke, who we believed author Acts, as he uh, authored the book of Acts, as he continues to write, he said, but the people who had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost feast began to hear the disciples speaking in their own languages. So you had people from and, and Jews who were part of what is known as the diaspora. These are Jews who had been who had left Jerusalem over the last few centuries at that time for a variety of reasons, one of which was persecution, uh, one of uh, another one would have been exile. And so they're back in Jerusalem for the feast and they are even though they're Jewish, they speak the the native language of the play or the language of the place that they had been living. So these Jews are in Jerusalem and they're hearing the disciples speak in their own language. If there were 120, maybe all each of them were speaking a unique language, speaking 120 different languages. All we know is that they that the people who were there, the Jews who were there, who had come to celebrate, heard the disciples who had been in the upper room speaking in other tongues. And of course, there was the visual of tongues of fire resting on their heads. And then there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. The disciples, the 120 who were there in that room, had an unmistakable encounter with God, with the Holy Spirit that was life-changing, world-changing, church-growing and foundation-laying. But what preceded it was the waiting and the praying. They didn't, they didn't even really know what they were waiting for. There's no, there's no clear sign that they understood what it was that they were waiting for. I doubt Jesus gave them all of the details. They wouldn't have been able to process it anyway. All they knew is that they needed to go and wait and pray. They didn't know for how long. They just had to go and wait and pray, and they did it together. One of the things that has preceded all revivals and renewal moments is prayer and seeking God. That was true in the New Testament, and that has been true throughout history. Movements and movements that involve more than just me, movements that involve my church or my family or my school or my job, movements where God and his presence is so unmistakable, they involve the seeking, the waiting, and the praying. The Pentecostal movement in the 20th century, the Azusa Street Revival, that sparked so many different Pentecostal denominations that exist today, the Foursquare, uh, for International Foursquare Church, the Assemblies of God, the Church of God in Christ, so many different Pentecostal and even really non-denominational charismatic groups, Vineyard and others, come out of the Azusa Street Revival in the early 20th century. And I just love the fact that it was led, really, by an African-American named William Seymour and by other minorities and, and women. I just love that. I, 
I love that God at a time when segregation was still very much present in America, where African Americans were segre segregated from uh, white Americans still, when at that time so much racial um, prejudice and, and discrimination, not just with African Americans, with other ethnic groups as well, but especially African Americans, was still very, very prominent, yet God chose to move through minorities and women. But this group came together and, and it was preceded by movements in Topeka, Kansas, at the beginning, very beginning of the 20th century. And as William Seymour went out to LA, essentially, I, I, I don't wanna say he brought it with him, I'm not a revival, revival historian um, and I, or theologian, so I don't wanna to go too deep into that, but there was something that he carried with him. And, and as he came there to um, Los Angeles, what broke out was the Azusa Street Revival and a, a renewed sense of the Holy Spirit. And you may not be of the Pentecostal uh, theology or church or charismatic movement, and that's fine. You don't have to be. And, um, and you may be a little bit skeptical of some of these revivals and some of these movements, and that's okay. Um, hopefully you will agree that what has taken place over the years, even if it doesn't look the same or even if it seems a little bit out of the ordinary, what it stems from is people who are desperate for a move of God. People who would travel across the country because they are so desperate for a move from God. I was just listening to a song by, by uh, one of the Beatles, George Harrison. It's a famous song. It came on the radio. It, um, and Harrison, I believe, was Hindu, if not an official um, uh, Hindu. He was part of some of uh, the uh, kind of Eastern religions. And so it's, it's a familiar song, uh, My Sweet Lord. And, you know, at the beginning of the song, he's just saying how much he wants to know. I really want to know you, Lord. I really want to see you. I really want to experience you, my sweet Lord. But as the song goes on, he starts to say, uh, he replaces the Lord or the, the hallelujah for the Hare Krishna and then the various other names for Indian gods and Vishnu and others. And so um, he's definitely... He's definitely trying to say that, you know, whatever name you call him, you know, whatever culture you call him, that, that you know, there's a desire to connect with him. And, and so let me just preface it by saying, I don't think that they are the same God, right? There's only, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make a connection between the Hindu gods and the Christian God. What I am trying to connect there is that George Harrison is expressing a deep desire to know whoever this being is. This God who created everything, who, who exists, to hear him sing such intimate words. I really want to know you. 
I really want to see you. There is, in, in the Christian faith, we've often used this term or this idea that, you know, there's, a, there's this God-shaped hole in us. That there is such a deep restlessness and deep desire to connect with God that it, it can't be filled by anything else because we were created to be in relationship with him. And I, I think that's what Harrison was expressing there. Such a deep desire, a deep, deep desire to connect with that being that he mistook for the Hindu gods. But this God of all creation who sent his son to die for humanity so that they might be in relationship with him. There is a longing and a desire for God that when we recognize it causes us to lean in and pursue and seek more and more. Think about your own personal renewal or revival moments. John Wesley talks about experiencing a strange warming in his heart. This was after he had been saved or thought he was saved. But sitting in a church, he felt an unmistakable connection with God. What have been your own personal experiences where you know God has been present, he has spoken to you, or he has brought you to a sense of renewal, personal renewal and refresh, refreshing. In the book of Psalms, the psalmist cries out, uh, and it, it has become a, a beautiful worship song, the, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. I think that is the reason why when revivals or renewal moments hit, many of us flock to those places or try to read about those experiences or try to duplicate them. If God is moving into Kentucky, let me go to Kentucky and bring back whatever he's doing there so that he can do it wherever I am because my church needs a renewal or my home, or my family or whatever. There is such a longing and a desire and those revival and those renewal moments resonate with us so deeply because we want that experience as well. Part of the challenge when we, when we desire the experience more than we desire God I think that we often at times want the renewal without the sacrifice or, or we want the revival without the deep realized need for God. That sometimes we can be chasing the experience or the feeling rather than chasing and pursuing God. In the book of Acts, 
Acts chapter 1, right after Jesus tells them to go and to wait in Jerusalem. After he's ascended up to heaven, some angels come down and they're like, I, you know, can you just picture the disciples? They're looking up to heaven, probably eyes wide open, like, and looking at each other. Maybe what do we do now? And then you've got these angels who are there and saying, hey, why are you still looking here up into heaven? Go and do what you're supposed to be doing. Go get on, on your way. Get, go, you know, go about your business and, and uh, you know, get after it. Go, go hang out in Jerusalem and, and start praying. That they're, they're, don't embrace this moment. Don't stay here locked in this moment and just uh, weep or cry or be upset or even marvel or, or whatever it might be. Don't allow this moment or this experience to keep you from, from going, from doing, from being. And so they say, go off into Jerusalem and go and do what you need to do. I think there's a reason why that the, these places aren't centered in Christianity, these places or times or events, that we celebrate them, that we experience them, but that we were not meant to go and stay as if we were to stay in that experience, but we were to go and to be and to do. When the 120 experienced the Holy Spirit in the upper room, it somehow spilled over into the crowd that was there for the, for the uh, 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 Pentecost feast. And they began to interact with others, whether the people um, outside of the upper room could hear them, we don't know. All we know is that they began to interact with the people who were there for the feast. And so it becomes this moment of not just renewal for them and empowerment, Peter stands up and he gives this incredible sermon and thousands get saved that day because they weren't staying in the upper room and hanging out and, and reveling in this amazing experience. They were, they were getting after it. They were getting out and going and doing and being and ministering and helping and changing. The renewal movements, the revival movements come because we are desperately in need of God, because we desperately desire Him, because we wait and seek him and i believe that one of the reasons they don't stay and last forever is for that very concern that we would stay in that church room we would stay in that chapel we would stay in that upper room we would stay at the tomb we would stay at at the cross we would stay standing looking up into heaven and we wouldn't we wouldn't use those moments to help us grow, change, and continue to move forward. God brings about ref refreshing and renewal and revival. When we seek him, and when, and when God is able to do a deeper work in our lives in those moments, there's no, 
magic formula to revival. There's no magic formula to renewal. And if you ask people who try have tried to duplicate it, they'll tell you. But renewal does come and revival does come when we seek and when we pray and when we wait. And when we seek God and not the experience or the moment. And they won't last because they are meant to help us experience his presence and then go out and do something and be something about it. What have been your own personal moments of renewal and revival? Where have you sensed God refreshing you even in difficult experiences? Can I encourage you to take just this moment, even right now, and to pause and to ask God for a refreshing and a personal moment of renewal? God responds to our needs, to our desperation for him, to our longing for him. He responds. I don't think we're always aware of it. And I think, going back to the upper room, I think there's a reason why they saw, they heard, and they felt God. God God at times has to get our attention with some loud moments, but he also gets our attention by those soft moments. Think Elijah at Mount Horeb, where God spoke to him in the sound of silence or the still small voice. Elijah on Mount Horeb was experiencing a personal moment of renewal and refreshing. And God met him there at the time of his deepest need. God comes loud. He comes soft. He comes in our pain. And he does. He is there in our moments of joy. But we don't need to go to Asbury. We don't need to go to Pensacola. We don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go to Bethlehem. We don't need to go to Los Angeles to experience him. He's right here. He's right where you are right now. And so lean in to him. Invite him to renew, to refresh, and to speak to you. Invite him to challenge to you in the way that he needs to in your life. Well, thank you for listening to this episode, episode 32 of the Nefesh podcast, and I will talk to you next time.